a free people is going to be reproduced, it will require watering and reviving and owning anew older traditions and awakening the curiosity in the soul of each citizen. National greatness will not be recovered via a mindless expansion of bureaucratized schooling. Seventy years ago, Dorothy Sayers wrote, quote, Sure, we demand another grant of money. We postpone the school leaving age and plan to build bigger and better schools. We demand that teachers further slave conscientiously in and out of school hours. But to what end? I believe, Sayers lamented, all this devoted effort is largely frustrated because we have no definable goal for each child to become a fully formed adult. We have lost the tools of learning, sacrificing them to the piecemeal subject matter approach of bureaucratized schooling that finally compromises to produce passive rather than active emerging adults. But our kids are not commodities. They are plants. They require a protected environment and care and feeding, but most basically an internal yearning to grow toward the sunlight. What we need is the equipment of each child with these lost tools. Ben Sass. Oh, yay, oh, yay, oh, yay. The court is now sitting. God save the United States and this honorable court. All right, welcome to another episode of Court is in Session. I am happy to have on a friend of a friend, uh, meeting him for the first time tonight, Mr. Gregor Samsa, a uh, friend of Francois Delecto, uh, who himself is a quality guest on this show quite frequently. So I expect the same out of uh, his friend, uh, Mr. Gregor Samsa. How are you doing tonight? Doing well, doing a little less well now that uh, such high expectations have been set. Well, that brings us right into our first conversation. We're not messing around. Tell me your thoughts on the midterms. Oh, boy. Uh, well, I live in Florida, so I actually had a pretty good night, didn't I? You, you realized the red wave. I foolishly left Florida a couple of years ago to come to the, this swampy-ass city. Yeah, um, I imagine the re reaction I had was similar to the reaction uh, Republicans had all across the country, which was, oh, boy, yo, pop the champagne around, say, 8 o'clock-ish when people called Florida for Ron DeSantis. And uh, as the hours dwindled by, ooh, ooh, yeah, I had um, I was on a call with my girlfriend the whole night, um, and I I provided not periodic updates. I gave like an update around nine of oh boy, Ron DeSantis is our Lord and Savior, and then I updated again around twelve thirty of some. Um, it's not looking so hot. So what happened? Why why didn't it look so hot? Like so so. And, and I, 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 we're, we're going to get to the juxtaposition here of why Ron DeSantis did 40 times better percentage-wise than he did his first time running um, and why these other candidates did just so absolutely horribly. But why? let's get to first, why did so many uh, people running for House, Senate, other uh, people, other Republicans running around the country, why did they do so bad? Well, it was basically the old story coming back uh, to be the dominant one uh, back around May, April, whenever uh, the people had their primaries and we elected uh, the people we did in those primaries. Um, there was a universal attitude of what the hell did we just do? What is wrong with us? These are awful candidates. How could we be so stupid? Um, 
But then when the summer happened and things got so bad in the country as they did, um, and then things after getting a little bit better around uh, early September got as bad as they did again in October, um, we indulged ourselves with the idea that, well, it doesn't matter how bad our candidates are because the Democratic administration is really just that awful that it makes no difference. Well, it did make a difference. Uh, people all across the country looked at what we were offering, looked at what the Democrats had given them, and said, I think we'll just take more of the same. Thank you very much. Um, but it's not the universal story. J.D. Vance out in Ohio did win by uh, quite a few percentage points, um, but it was by less than his more normal Republican counterpart did in the same state, and it was not by as much as we anticipated him to. And uh, the big tragedy of the night uh, tragedy might be the wrong word. Uh, the big farce of the night was Pennsylvania, where yeah. Mehmet Oz was an awful candidate, absolutely atrocious. I mean, uh, a Turkish TV celebrity from New Jersey is the worst possible person. <laughs> what well, one of the worst possible person you could give Pennsylvania voters? It looked yeah. like Fetterman was the worst possible, but uh, in the end, we we were proven to be the worst possible choice there. Um, I, that was, that was the most demoralizing part of the night when you realized that Pennsylvania was going to vote Fetterman in after that debate, that, that was the moment I was just shaking my head saying, what is wrong with us, man? Yeah. Fetterman couldn't, Fetterman couldn't put two words together. And he also is just a freaky looking guy Yeah, Um, with the hump on his neck. Yeah. He's incredibly like radically progressive. He'd make Bernie Sanders blush, I think, on a couple of issues. Um, His wife is obviously the person they just voted in, not him. Yeah, exactly. And he's also just a fraud. Um, I I wish my story had gotten more coverage, but we did manage to get it posted in the the Daily Wire and the Daily Caller. But I was able to find a story of him when he was uh, mayor of Braddock. He ran a nonprofit and used it to sell land to himself very cheaply. So he's oh. got a lot of real estate holdings around the, the Pittsburgh area that he got really cheap. And on top of all of that, he had a buddy named Jeb Feldman, one of his best friends from way back in the day, that happened to sit on the Allegheny County Economic Redevelopment Committee. And what's fun about the Allegheny County Economic uh, Committee is that they're the ones that condemn old blighted property and he was a project manager for them so he was able to condemn oh he would condemn stuff get it cheap and then oh okay okay. and then and then fetterman bought it which is great stuff and well you know even if that story had been widely publicized i still think pennsylvania would have looked at oz and said he's even slimier yeah that was he was a bad choice so why did why did Ron DeSantis do so well? Are, are are people clamoring for Republicans like him? Is Florida just an anomaly? What's what's the Ron DeSantis story? Well, the obvious takeaway is that Republicans across the country need to look at Ron DeSantis and copy whatever blueprint they can scramble from him. Um, I think attempts to do so will result in more of a Frankenstein's monster than a one-to-one. I think there's something unique about Ron DeSantis that makes him who he is. Um, There's a certain judgment that Ron DeSantis has that isn't easily replicated. A judgment in what battles he chooses to fight, a judgment in where he pushes for ground, 
a judgment in what areas of the base can be expanded on in Florida. Um, I mean, to make comment on that, he won Miami-Dade. He won Hillsborough. That's absolutely yeah. insane in Florida to win those yeah. counties. Um, so, and and to, to speak on the further on the base developing part, um, it was not exclusively Ron DeSantis. I think what Ron DeSantis has done uh, through his unique skill set is pay off what Jeb Bush laid the foundation for several decades ago, the end of the late 90s. Um, where when he was governor, he looked at Florida and he saw potential there and he started fertilizing the ground uh, in a way that has been steadily built up and fully realized under Ron DeSantis's vision. It's not a swing state anymore. It's not a battleground. It is solid red. Not only is it solid red, it's one of the reddest states in the country, I'd say. Yeah. Um, Ron so, DeSantis yeah. Uh, did better in his elector- in, in, in his race than did Sarah Huckabee Sanders in Arkansas. He did like, better like, than um, Gravin Newsom out did in California. Wow. It's, in, it's insanity. He did so well, especially considering he won his first term by less than half a percentage. Oh, I he remember did, that. Point three yeah. points, I think it was? Point four, I think. And he just won a couple nights ago by 19.8 points. Almost I, I rounded up to 20 because it, yeah. it sounds very nice to say 20. That's a nice even number. Yeah, so he won by 20 points this past cycle. The one before, he won by half a point. He did 40 times better uh, than than last time. Um, I think the big the big watershed moment of the administration, um, the DeSantis was always going to have a good four years as governorship, being who he was. But the big thing that made him such a juggernaut was COVID. If COVID had not happened, yeah. DeSantis would not have had such a fertile ground to make a big name for himself and make so many big plays that he did. Yeah. And that was the thing he was attacked for the most. And and what people thought would be his downfall was was the way he He was degraded as being an unstable, radical populist back in 2020. And now he's he's emerged as this bedrock of stability, uh, ironically, also progress in in that he is seen as the future now for what the party needs to do. So. Oh, and to, of... to not to not belittle a point, not belittle a point's the wrong word, but to not forget him. Marco Rubio also had an insane night. It was not just he Ron did DeSantis. very very well. That was supposed to be a tight race. That was billed as a tight race, and it it never was. Um, massive wins in local state elections. It's it was the entire ballot was a huge Republican night in Florida. It's not just Ron's victory. It's the entire party in the state. This is probably the yeah. most unified Republican party in the entire country. Um, there's ironically enough, considering who lives here, which I suppose we'll get to that a little later on. Yeah. So, uh, what was I going to ask you? That's 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 not a very good thing to say as as an interview. Oh, that's what it was. So a lot of people seem to be billing uh, Ron DeSantis as the future of the the National Republican Party as somebody who should run in 2024. What what are your thoughts on that? Do you think he just needs to focus on being governor for a bit longer. Is it too early to tell? Is he getting ahead of himself? Are we getting ahead of ourselves talking about it? What What are your thoughts on that in general? Well, Ron DeSantis' victory speech down in Tampa a couple of nights ago where his most ardent supporters were gathering, uh, he was interrupted by chance of two more years, two yeah. more years. So even the dedicated base here in Florida um, is willing to let him go if it means spreading his influence far and wide. Now, it would be right. naive to say that all DeSantis has to do is replicate the exact same things that he did in Florida on a national scale and everybody would fall in line. 
Um, the rest of the country isn't Florida. Florida is infamous for being uh, sort of chaotic and yeah. out of step with what everybody else in the country does, which is our point of pride. Um, right. But of course, the counter to that argument that it won't all just fall in uh, neatly in a big row of dominoes is what other choice do you have? Um, right. If it's not Ron DeSantis, who else is it? Uh, yeah. After that night where Republicans all across the country uh, scraped at the finish line, well, not all across, Brian Kemp did well. Um, but when you compare the performance of Republicans across the country to how Ron DeSantis just absolutely obliterated the state, um, it would be complete folly for him not to run. And it would be folly for him to wait until 2028. That's uh, what some people say is, well, wait until 2028 to avoid stepping on certain toes. Um, but in 2028, he'll be out of the governor's office for two years. You lose a lot of momentum doing that. Yeah. Um, you got to strike while the iron is hot. All of the momentum is on his side right now. If he pushes and starts making a name for himself on a national scale, then I think he can really turn this into a big movement. Um, I would well, expect I... to see a lot more stunts like Martha's Vineyard, a lot more things like that coming in 2023. Yeah. Big national headline events across state lines. And I think to your point about waiting until 2028, I think Donald Trump put the file, final nail in the coffin of that ever happening by the fact that he's been absolutely attacking him on his Twitter equivalent, Truth Social. He's been absolutely lambasting Ron DeSantis, saying that he was bad because he didn't mention him in his, his uh, re-election speech. Uh, he said he was going to focus on Florida instead of saying that he would like absolutely throw his weight behind Donald Trump no matter what. Donald Trump is already pissed off because he sees that there's this movement going on. And I think he's separating himself from Ron DeSantis. But that's giving that's taking away any incentive that DeSantis has of of waiting for 2028 to run, I think. Uh, two points uh, to make there. Um, one, the Trump apologists insist on the 2028 nomination for DeSantis saying, let Trump have 2024, then DeSantis can have 2028. That assumes this, uh, Trump would win in 2024, which I consider increasingly unlikely. It was already kind of a long shot, um, but especially after night, it's clear that that probably would almost certainly not happen unless it was yeah. like the worst candidate ever being presented. Um, yeah. The other point there is Trump, who is been increasingly unhinged ever since his loss to Joe Biden, looks unbelievably so lashing out at Ron DeSantis when DeSantis has not acknowledged or said anything about Trump anyway. Yeah. If DeSantis had been making aggressive plays against Trump in the wake of his victory, um, some attacks in term maybe would be the right call. But when all DeSantis does is win bigly and go out and campaign for other Republicans in the country and Trump loses his nerve and strikes out against him, that's a very bad look for Trump. Makes him look insecure, makes him look weak, makes him look panicking. Um, I think the best thing DeSantis can do in response to that is to do nothing and just focus on his governing. Yeah. So taking a complete right turn here, because I think everybody's kind of talked out of, of the, the election a couple nights ago, and it's going to be relitigated a lot. You're you're an academic, sir. You uh, yes, I, I am in the bog mire of academia. Uh, same as you is what I understand. Well, as I understand it, you're getting a PhD at that hellhole uh, about uh, two and a half hours south of of the real university in Tallahassee. Yeah, yeah, something to that effect. Though uh, both counties went blue, so uh, who really has ground to stand on? <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I'm he's what what are you studying? You're you're a PhD student, right? Yes, I'm a PhD student. 
Uh, okay. I'm studying physics, uh, specifically high energy physics. That means particle physics. Okay. And recently it was announced that y'all are going to get y'all a new president, uh, yes. Ben Sass. I'd love to know, first of all, just your initial thoughts on that. If you have any, does well, that really make that big of a difference when you're in the, in the, in the. We, we the, the very first thought was, oh, Kent Fox. We were so sad to see him go. Um, mm-hmm. He was a wonderful president. Um, I, he's been here ever since I was here as an undergraduate. Um, I, I've always loved the man. He's always had great policies. Uh, under his leadership, UF became uh, one of the top 10 public universities in the country. So he's leaving a very wide hole behind him. Uh, but I am optimistic that Ben Sass can fill that hole. Um, perhaps not right away. Definitely a learning adjustment period, given his um, more humble beginnings out in Nebraska. Um, yeah. But I believe there is definitely potential there to take that all the way. Um, and of course, the natural next step beyond what I thought is what the university has thought. Um, I'm sure people are well aware by now of the student protests that occurred on campus when Ben Sass was having his hearings. Um, but considering we're a student body of tens of thousands and there were, what, a few hundred protesting yeah. outside his building i think people are making a mountain out of a molehill in regards to how much opposition there is in the student body that makes sense academia in general uh conservatives tend to be wary of academia and you are you're a phd student in a stem program so maybe you don't do you, do you sense that there's still people trying to insert politics into things or do you think they're 100 percent are yes um, really okay. there's a um there's a group in our department um, I should avoid uh, saying too much, lest the hammer come down one day. But um, th- there is a group that is um, devoted to those uh, non-conservative causes. Um, and to give one anecdote, to give an idea of what they were like, um, there are numerous whiteboards and chalkboards throughout the building that any student can go and write on where they want. Um, you see a lot of Among Us little doodles on all those whiteboards and chalkboards. But last year, uh, one person doodled on them. Um, a little drawing, little cartoon of himself hunched over a desk with uh, bloodshot eyes, you know, big bags under his eyes, looking stressed out of his mind and absolutely miserable. And off to the side was his girlfriend flying a kite, looking blissful and happy and enjoying the fullness of life. Uh, and I believe there was some commentary to the my, uh, to the tune of my girlfriend and then me enjoying a physics PhD. Obviously, the joke there is that a physics PhD is absolutely miserable. Why would anybody do it? Um, And this group in our department responded with, how dare you insinuate that women can't be physics PhDs? You have to take down this sexist (laughs) cartoon. Um, And and there were were numerous um, professors in the department who said, uh, it's clearly just a doodle making fun of our own program for being a hellhole. Why would you like... So that 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 calls to mind uh, the kind of people um, that do exist in the department. Um, for what it's worth, I am very cautious about showing my hand in regards to what I believe polit- politically. I don't wear my heart on my sleeve. Um, of course, when I do find like-minded people, um, it's a wonderful time. My office mate is one such person. Um, but you have to tread lightly until you find them, and then you can enjoy in privacy uh commentaries such as what happened on tuesday night which has been a very popular topic why do you think overwhelmingly the left has prevailed in the university system is there something inherent in higher education that for that 
lends itself to people being more progressive in 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 higher education? I think historically, you always see intelligentsias as the forefronts of progressive movements, whatever form they may take. Um, as for why that is, uh, well, if I could be uh, incredibly blunt and critical, I suppose academics don't have to do a whole lot. Don't have yeah. real jobs. Yeah. <laughs> that, that might be a bit a bit too harsh, but um, th- there is definitely something there of uh, people who just sit around and think all day. Um, when your mind is busy and your body isn't so much, um, there's a whole lot of ways your mind can take you. And historically, um, you see the intelligentsia, especially in Europe in the 20th century, go just all over the place in every possible direction. Um, and so it's it's just an inevitability, I think, of when you get a whole bunch of people whose job it is to think together in one big area and tell them to think, um, they'll they'll think up a whole lot of stuff. Um, as for why it is the way it is nowadays in this political landscape, I think negligence on the right is to blame. Um, the Republican Party, the conservative movement over the years, um, was just much more concerned with uh, domestic and foreign policy uh, to the tune of like economic issues and whatnot. They were not very concerned with academic problems, um, and that pretty much gave progressive movements a free hand to do whatever they want with very little opposition. It's only within, I'd say, the past decade or so that the conservative movement has caught up and recognized, oh, darn, uh, we've lost the academics to the progressives. And if we don't do something, um, the entire youth base of the country will be lost. Um, So you start seeing pushbacks again, going back to Ron DeSantis. So what do you what do you think needs to be done? Is there government intervention that needs to happen here or do more conservatives just need to enter enter academia? Do do conservatives need to be more loud in in their positions in academia? Are there are there more than people think and they're just they just kind of try to keep to themselves? Like because I I understand what you mean that generally people of our political persuasion keep things close to the vest when they're, um, you know, getting getting advanced degrees. I was never like that when I was in grad school, and I'm not really like that now. When I was in grad school, I was a little bit of a weirdo, um, but I also just am not good about keeping anything close to the vest. I'm an open book, and I also, but I mean, now it's easier because I do go to the most conservative public law school in the country by about a country mile. So, um, like, that's kind of my experience. But how do you think conservatives fix this issue in higher well, I think I think UF is making a very big. A very correct play here and first electing Ben Sass and much more importantly, going through with picking Ben Sass, no matter how much complaining and whining there is. Um, there were a whole lot of um, faculty complaints. I believe these faculty Senate made a vote of no confidence, um, whereupon throughout the whole week, I just kept getting emails in my inbox uh, from the university saying, we are very pleased to announce Ben Sass has been confirmed as the U.S. Nest president. Um I think that attitude of uh, we're putting a dedicated conservative in a position of power at the university, we don't care how much you don't like it, is very important. Um, Because the kind of people who protested his hearings and the kind of people who vote for those votes of no confidence would not be satisfied with any conservative. Um, They make it sound like it's only this particular one because they focus on some issue that they disagree with. The reality is they would disapprove of any of them. So putting your feet down and saying, this is the one we're going with, whether you like it or not, I think is a very important attitude to have. Yeah. 
Um, it so sense. it's 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 the kind of attitude that academics across the country need to uh, follow suit. Obviously, some institutions are just lost causes. Um, Berkeley, you're never getting Berkeley back within these next four, five generations. Right. Um, but but where there is fertile ground and notable conservative elements that have been keeping quiet, I believe pushes could be made and should be made in order to win back that lost ground. Are you overall an optimistic person when it comes to? these things in academia? Oh, I'm pessimistic by nature so that I can be pleasantly surprised when I'm wrong. Um, I'm optimistic about Florida's prospects. We'll see how the rest of the country does. Yeah. But y'all have the opportunity to be, to be a bellwether and to be, to be a pioneer in this area. Just just like the other leadership in the state is, huh? Yeah. There you go. Are you over? So to kind of continue that question on, are you, if you're a pessimist by nature, then I assume you're not overall optimistic by these election results. Well, I'm pessimistic in regards to uh, the state of the federal government going forward. Um, there's a pessimism yeah. to be had about the general electorate that they would be in such dire straits economically and culturally and still elect more Democrats, regardless of how bad the Republican candidates were. Um, but Florida is the big bright spot, and I think the GOP has been given a real opportunity here to look at its flaws and in, embrace a purge. A purge is the wrong word. Purge sounds very aggressive and Machiavellian. Yeah. Um, a reform, a restructuring. Yeah. Um, this is the most blunt diagnosis the country could give it. Um, there is a real chance here to fix the problems and go forward. Um, I made a uh, point to Francois Delecta privately that this could be the GOP's winter war while the Democrats think that they're teeing up for Operation Barbarossa in 2024. Yeah, that's the point I made on on my podcast that I just uh, recorded yesterday. It was just kind of a solo one that the I think the American people have given us a roadmap and that if if the GOP is smart about this, we'll be introspective and realize the kind of people that we need to put up. And when we do that, I think we'll will be in good shape for for 2024. And I also think granted we keep the house which I still think we're going to get it but wow it's going to be tight but I think it allows us to really stop the bleeding and block any kind of big legislation and that will, that was the big win to come out of this. I think the worst is behind us. I really really do. But we're I'm going to get a gridlock um to bring back my pessimism uh that won't stop Biden. Uh he never uh ruled much by legislation anyway. He uh, was a big fan of executive orders. So I expect yeah. to see those keep going, especially after he did not get his shelled as hard as he did. Um, he is going to take that as a green stamp that he's doing the right thing, that he's doing OK, and just keep trugging on the way he's been, which yeah. in the long term is the best thing that could happen uh, right. because it should make the country even worse. That That's a very cynical uh cruel thing to say but if it makes the country worse while the democrats maintain the senate and the presidency then that lays very very fertile ground for 2024 if the republicans can just fix their problems and get the house in order yeah so we're coming to uh getting close to the half hour mark which is generally what i like to keep these around but i do have a question i like to ask all of my first time guests on the show if you would indulge me um if you could live under any government in world history that you can think of, and you can kind of mix them around and say like this government, but in this period, what what would it be? And I didn't ask you this beforehand because I like knowing people's answers off the cuff. 
Well, I I knew that this was coming because I did listen to your first interview with Francois. Oh Duarte. man, uh, I I I have prepared. Uh, so that for it. for me, um, a late nineteenth century United States federal republic, um, maybe with the caveat of uh, women's suffrage to round out uh, universal suffrage for the citizenship. Um, that time period, because you get past the atrocity of slavery. And it's before the point where Woodrow Wilson started really ruining things and setting the progressive wing of the country on the track that it's gone to the present day. Mm. Um, I think but the watershed point that I would uh, stick to is before the amendment that changed how uh, senatorial candidates were elected, shifting it from state legislators to popular vote. I would say uh, in that area is uh, my preferred government choice. People might criticize that pointing to the Gilded Age. Uh, I would say, well, the government had enough power to deal with the robber barons then. So if it's really that big of a problem, then you should be able to deal with them anyway. Right. Um, yeah, that 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 point in American history where we were still somewhat close to the foundations we began with. Federal power hadn't been expanded too much by the progressives of the 20th century. Um, and we had gotten over the worst excesses and road bumps of getting the whole project going. Yeah. Mr. Samsa, anything else you want to leave our listener with uh, before before I let you go? Hmm. Not, not, not nothing I can think of. I'm trying to think of something witty, but I'm, I'm completely empty. That's fair, Gregor. I knew that uh, when you were like when you were recommended by Francois Delecta that you would be just a great addition to the show, and I really appreciate you coming on. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I'm happy to be here.